the wiretaps. Welcome to the Propaganda Report. This is Monica Perez here with Brad Binkley. Hey, Binkley, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. What's happening? I just, you know, hurricanes like level seven or eight. It's like... <laughs> Do we have the biggest nuclear threat in history combined with the biggest hurricane threat in history all in the same week? This unprecedented hurricane on the heels of the unprecedented hurricane is unprecedented. It's just been an unprecedented year. (laughs) That is the truth. That is the truth. And that kind of thing always makes me suspicious. But boy, did I get flack for asking the question. Could weather modification have made these worse? Could they have made things better? Or, I didn't ask this, but JJ brought it up on Twitter, the weather modification that is happening, like in China and stuff, could in itself just have a reactionary impact that is creating weather disturbances. It's more plausible than climate change. Absolutely. We can actually prove that. These reactions that people get where they base their certainty on, I guess, just their you know, innate wisdom. They haven't done any research on it. They just, they just say, oh, no, that's not possible. And then they make fun of people or they insult people who just ask questions. This pisses me off because these people are, are blinded by, you know, social constructs. If you're not willing to ask questions and willing to have an open dialogue, then you're just at the mercy of propaganda. So I think it's right to ask those questions. And I think, and people are mean, like instead of saying, I know. I don't know. They don't. What could they say? What you're saying defies logic. I mean, it doesn't. I mean, they they actually try to control hurricanes. That's one thing they've been trying to do for a long time. I've read several papers on it recently, and uh, and then people just call you names instead of saying. I, I mean, I'm an intelligent person. I'm a rational person. I get up like when the alarm goes off. I take shower. You know, I go through my day in a in a coherent like a linear fashion. My thinking is clear and analytical. I have no idea how, how uh, weather modification works and what reaction other parts of the world weather system has to China creating snow, artificial snow in Beijing, which they did. I don't know. You know, climate change is kind of nebulous compared with, actual weather modification that is happening across the world, possibly having an equal and opposite reaction in other places. I don't think that's a crazy thing to wonder about. Not when there's documented evidence of them doing it. China or Beijing, they have a weather modification office in their government that, I mean, they got a whole office dedicated to it. These people Uh, automatically, it's so backwards because people will just assume that climate change is causing it, even though, kind of murky the science that we're we're relying on. There's a lot of groupthink going on. Yet if you suggest that something that's actually been proven and the governments are actually doing might be a factor in this, people are like, oh you're crazy. It's well, just I wanted to see what the journal of the Weather Modification Association had to say about events right now, but you can't even see headlines without being a card carrying member of the association or Somehow, you know, there's a, there's just nothing. It's like login to get any anywhere here. Really? But there is a weather modification association, and it has a journal. And I'm curious to know. But they're not going to say the stuff we do is having an impact. But 
it seems to me that it's more likely that weather modification has side effects than, you know, or is deliberately manipulated. But I really don't know. I really don't know. But I don't think uh, asking the question is a sign of irrationality. I don't either. And if there is hardcore weather modification going on, we wouldn't know about it. And the technology that they're using to do it, we would have no idea its capabilities. So the fact that we know a little bit about what might be going on means that they're way ahead and they would be concealing it from us. So it's not And the Tesla, I mean, what Tesla was up to way back when they started trying to figure out hurricanes in the 40s, trying to actually do experiments on hurricanes. And uh, the stuff Tesla did, I did impact, I think, I think it's fairly accepted that he did have, there were atmospheric reverberations to some of his experiments, or at least that kind of potential to some of his theories. And, and his stuff was confiscated by Dr. <laughs> Dr. John Trump, John Trump. Uncle, Dr. John Trump, Donald's uncle later, you know, MIT professor for many years, but worked for the military. And, uh, and he gave those documents to the military. And I think that is maybe what was the roots of HARP, which is an atmospheric research program or, uh, you know, it definitely exists <laughs> and it's meant to have an impact on the atmosphere. Maybe Trump is sitting in HARP pushing the hurricane button over and over again. No, I think Trump is eating ice cream out of a container and watching Wheel of Fortune. <laughs> So the reporting on Hurricane Harvey and this latest hurricane has been clearly implying that climate change is responsible. They keep emphasizing the warm water and how it's making it devastating and unprecedented. And now they're treating these weather forecasters like rock stars and their models or computer models like rock stars. I have a clip I want to play you in a second. I have a theory about that. I When I was in Houston, lived in Houston during Katrina, and they told us to – evacuate for Rita, I would not go before 24 hours in advance of the of landfall because it was well established that you could not predict the path of a hurricane less than 24 hours in advance, more than 24 hours in advance, because it was chaotic. It was, you, it was just uh, like chaos theory. You couldn't predict how it was going to go. And and it was true. It didn't, it didn't even rain in Houston <laughs> for Rita. And I didn't go anywhere. But yeah, anyway, I don't want to go on, off on a tangent. But, uh, but now they predicted this with such accuracy, it defies quantum physics, I think, you know? And, and so they have to say, well, we figured something out, you know? But even if, even if the warm water causes the problem, I, I don't think that would make the actual path predictable further in advance. Maybe it would. On top of that, they're emphasizing the accuracy of the European and the American computer models, how they're converging into one to accurately predict the future. It's just a really strange emphasis on these computer models. Yeah, I think it's because they're that being able to predict what's going to happen needs some explanation because that's not true in a state of nature. And it also gives them a way in the future when someone comes on one of these networks to be the person trying to debunk climate change. And they say, you're basing it on a computer model. They can say, nope, nope, that's been debunked. The computer models are always accurate. 
I think the whole thing is to support climate change, but they it could also mask intentional. Right. Yeah, it could mask the the weather control that we've been talking. <laughs> I don't know. I think just to put that to bed, they I I can't. I don't know how they do it. They they could do it with seeding. They could do it with energy. You know, whatever an electromagnetic pulse is, that kind of energy is. Uh, possible. You know, they actually have the capabilities to do that. And if they have stations that can emit that level of energy, surely they can, you know, perhaps they can uh, use that kind of energy burst to make a somewhat predictable impact on an existing hurricane. You know, that is possible. And then that would, you know, you could... I mean, if it's predictable and they're doing it on purpose, perhaps that could uh, account for why they can predict it. I really don't know, but uh, we shall see. Anyway, people don't like it when you when you um, question the obvious, I, you know, the official narrative, which is weird because it's not like aliens from outer space. It's something they want to do. There's, I don't think there's any like, oh, it's beyond uh, the realm of possibility that they could ever have the technology to do that. I, I just, I don't think that's a crazy thing to think. No, I, I agree. I don't either. I think it probably is weather modification. It might not be 100%, but there's no doubt they're experimenting. All right, listen to this dude. Everybody, every other weather person sounded just like this guy. Even I, I even watched some local stations too. They all echoed the same would land, it could drop to a category two. But remember, the waters are extremely warm. When the system moves northward, then we're looking at a possibility of the European model sliding to southwest coast of Florida and hugging that coast or slightly off the coast to maybe make an impact in the panhandle of Florida or coastal Alabama and Mississippi. Here is the U.S. model. This one, again, incredible agreement with the European model. You expect over time, and again, this is next weekend, that there is some deviation that there is some spread. I mean, it's like trying to forecast rain at your own backyard next Monday. I mean, what are the chances? But because it's so close, watch what happens. This one stays over water, does not affect Cuba, and then slides up the eastern coast. Now, again, this is much like Hurricane Matthew last year when it moved through the Bahamas. Again, sliding up the coastline, staying off the coast, which is different than light damage compared to catastrophic damage, but then it slides it up into the Carolinas. So again, great concern over this. When you look at the track of rainfall, it really gives you an idea that the center looks like it's staying over water. Again, when you look at a system like this, they can only sustain their strength for so long. It's like taking a top and spinning a top on your kitchen table. After a while, that centrifugal force is going to start to wobble, and we'll see the eye do that, but it goes through a reorganization progress and, and that process, and it just starts to regenerate and get stronger again. So it's feasible that we're going to have a formidable storm next weekend with a possible landfall on September 11th, but we're watching this, as you can see, Anderson, day by day. It's going to take a while. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's not the clip that I had in mind. That's the same guy, but he, he specifically at the end of the – they bring this guy on every few minutes. At the end of it, he reemphasized it's, it's going to fall apart. He made the same top analogy. Normally, it would fall apart just like a top fell down, but this time it goes over this warm water and mm-hmm. it – Recharges, yeah. And it's that warm water that I'm really, really, really worried about. Which, by the way, isn't there no actual force called centrifugal force? Like, isn't that 
there really isn't anything called there. It really there is no such thing as centrifugal force. I think. Well, I don't know how we can trust the computer model. <laughs> oh, and the computer model thing. It's like, isn't it amazing how the European and American computer models converge? Have we been living in this uh, world where information is not shared and technology is not shared? That like in two separate vacuums, we have uh, we have each erected or created the meteorology there's american meteorology and european meteorology but since there's no way for us to communicate we don't share any of the uh theories so it's amazing that both of these completely separate sciences could come (laughs) up with the same uh, conclusion it's amazing Uh, of course the fact is it's the same if they take with start with the basic premise, the same basic fundamentals, and they use it for to uh to build these models, they should come up to the same answer, even if the answer is wrong. Absolutely. Uh, have you ever heard that before in your life? The the, the European model? No. I've never heard anyone talk why would it why would it matter? You know what I mean? You take the best possible uh practice. I mean, they got to have other models. Why these two? It just doesn't make any sense that they're emphasizing this. Weird. The image that they have on the screen, it, it looks like this. It almost looks like a fist coming towards the Florida coast. I'm surprised they didn't just put a giant fist on it, have climate change written on the arm, and have it punching <laughs> Florida with people just flying up in the air on their little graphic there, and maybe Trump laughing at them. On September 11th. Yeah, on September 11th. It's so rude. The anniversary of Hillary's collapse. <laughs> so why is that the anniversary of Hillary's collapse? That's when she fell, and every and it was caught on camera. Or, that was on September 11th. September 11th, yeah. Okay. Go. North Korea. North Korea. What do the computer models say about North Korea? <laughs> I, have a, I have a theory about North Korea. Lay it on me. All right. North Korea, since the beginning, I did actually a ton of work on North Korea, the history and meaning of North Korea. And then I was from the WSB show that we did on the day the Charlottesville riot or whatever you want to call it, rally happened. And so we didn't get into North Korea at all. But from what I could determine, basically, North Korea and South Korea were uh, kept apart. South Korea is kind of you know, the way they look at it, occupied by the United States and has been ever since the end of the Korean War. They see it there. I was curious about that. Yeah, I think that's how they see it. So they talk about reunification. North Korea talks about reunification because it feels like South Korea is is uh, like under foreign occupation. And they and also they feel victimized like they're I think that some of the mentality is also that sanctions and other bad treatment, being excluded from the world, being staunch in their defiance of uh, aligning with the Western powers is, is why they have no prosperity or whatever, that it's a, they're victimized in that way. It's not like an ideological problem with their system. But really the whole reason that we wanted to stay there, from what I understand, is to keep a presence in Asia that we couldn't really justify in other ways and that uh and that you want it north korea to be belligerent against the united states and you want to have 
U.S. presence in South Korea to be in harm's way so that if they do something, we have an excuse to go in there and we can even we can even trump things up or provoke them if the time is right for us to want to move closer to China. So the Pentagon just said they were increasing patrols to an unprecedented level or um, uh, did some kind of new, more aggressive thing than they've ever done before in the South China Sea. And this kind of went off without hitting the radar or like the didn't get much press at all. Did that happen after he tested? It just the- happened. Um think that was like monday what's today wednesday okay so the hydrogen bomb testing that allegedly it was around the same time and yeah i don't know if that i didn't check out the hydrogen bomb thing it's very hard to know what's real what's not real what's true and what's not true about what they're doing i think even they like saddam hussein supposedly used to exaggerate his capabilities to try to keep us at bay and then I mean, it's a double-edged sword because then that can justify, can be used to justify aggression. So they do that. And, uh, you know, it's still hard for me to suss out exactly the kind of relationship or anti-relationship we have with China. Because Rockefeller, according to, I mean, I've heard this anyway, but James Corbett did a good video on it about how the West gave China technology, um, defense stuff, and Mao was uh, educated in part at Yale. I mean, these are things that maybe are meant like Russia, communism in Russia meant to subdue the populations so that they are not a threat. Like it's that heartland doctrine, that Mackinder doctrine, that the Eurasian continent is the the is the power. So if we can weaken those land masses, those population centers, then, uh, then the Western powers, the sea powers have, are more valuable. So I feel like communism in China was a Western infiltration, you know, and I don't know where we stand. If we, if we, if we are really belligerent towards them or if it's both an inside job and an outside job, I don't know. But my feeling about North Korea is that it's there to to give us an excuse to have a strong presence in Asia. We really would otherwise have no no excuse whatsoever. And also Japan being disarmed. They should have their own arms. And actually Corey emailed me that that Japan supposedly does have like a secret nuclear program that it really isn't totally weak. We're there. We act like we have to protect them, but uh, I don't think we do. I think there's a chance that we don't, that they actually do have under the radar defense stuff. And why wouldn't they? It makes perfect sense to. Well, we told them they couldn't, like we told Germany they couldn't. But of course, that just frees up their resources for our economic buildup. But we would want them to probably if we were could rely on them as being an ally because they, they could pop off on the other guys. Yeah. And if somebody tells you to take, you know, they're going to take their guns away from you and they're going to have guns, and there's a chance that they might be a threat against you, you can say, oh, okay, and then you're going to hide your guns somewhere where they can't see them. It's going to be, that's what I would probably do. Yeah, good point. But I think that, that, that it's even further than that and that we actually promote it. Yeah. Which must scare places like Korea and China who have such a history with Japan. Yeah. So the reporting on the Trump-Kim Jong-un dynamic has shifted. 
Originally, it was Kim Jong-un is a lunatic, crazy, homicidal. Trump, also a lunatic. But that's changed. Kim Jong-un is now being presented as a rational actor, while Trump is being presented as still crazy and as the one who's actually the threat to all of humanity. I actually heard Anderson Cooper say, doesn't it make sense for Kim Jong-un to want a a nuclear weapon. I mean, I I think we should take, we should look at everybody's perspective. I almost spit out my drink. I heard that about a week ago. I don't watch CNN that much, so I didn't realize that it was a change. But I was like, "What are they talking?" Like I was, I was shocked too. I was, I didn't know if it was a, if it was a change, but I was shocked because I had not heard it on the mainstream media at all. Trump is now the new Kim Jong Un of the world. He is the dangerous, irrational threat who's walking around with a a, a spy pen that controls the, the nuclear bombs or something like that. He can just blow the world up in a that- second. I think that's really true. And I, and if you look at it, it makes me crazy that it's always some irrational, suicidal nut job that happens to control a huge and powerful country, you know, like Iran. I mean, not powerful in the international sense, but like with a big economy and a lot of people, they, they, they're always saying this guy's a complete irrational nut job. And that's why we need to spend 50% of the defense budget of the entire world year after year after year after year because of all these nut jobs out there. And then I think Trump is now the nut job. So who is he the nut job for? North Korea, Russia. I mean, this is where that three dimensional chess comes in where you can really see other, uh, the, that other populations need to be manipulated as well. And right. that's why I think that Kim Jong-un is a, is a puppet of this system. And I think he knows it. I mean, I think he absolutely is a CIA operative who's playing that role for our population. Trump is, whether he knows it or not, playing that role for other populations, including half of our own population. Some people think he's a puppet of China. Some think he's a puppet of us. Maybe it's one and the same. Who knows? What I think it's eventually going to lead to, I don't think this is going to happen in the immediate I think they're setting it up so that either way, regardless of what happens, Trump is seen as the crazy bad guy. So if he doesn't do anything, then they'll call him weak for not standing up to him, and they'll say, what's going to happen next? What kind of weapons are they going to develop next? And if he does, if, if he were to preemptively strike, which that's not going to happen. That's in my, I think this is probably going to be out of the news in a week not or so. Not North Korea, no. I don't think that he would. I don't think that World War Three is going to start in North Korea, although I think Trump being crazy does, right. or like having that crazy persona being portrayed as crazy yeah. is a, is like a perfect setup for, uh, tripping o- over falling into World War Three. Yeah, and if he did, if he were to ever do something to North Korea, then that's going to unify China with North Korea and Russia, who are all going to be on that Eurasian land that you you've talked about against America. And Trump and America is going to – well, mainly Trump and people who support Trump are going to look like the Hitlers of the world. They're going to be the demon of the world that must be stopped. Now, a lot of people don't realize this, but back in June, Kim Jong-un called – Trump a Nazi and called out for the world to rise up and stop him. This is before the Nazis in Charlottesville. Yeah. So they're following Kim Jong-un's talking points. I thought that that about the U.S. When you look at Syria, when you look at Ukraine, when you it was really poignant when we bombed a hospital in Afghanistan that we were being portrayed as the bad guy for some reason. So in those places, we, I think we are, you know, we're in Syria without being invited. We absolutely created this coup in Ukraine. That doesn't mean 
Russia isn't just as interested in world domination or a seat at the table even or a better seat at the table or whatever, or that we don't want them to have their populations as motivated to go to war with us as we they want our population. You know, if war is about population reduction, you've got to get those everybody on board and, and they have to fight and kill for a long time. Everybody has to be bad on both sides. Well, if you divide a country, if if you you divide a power like America, and that's why like they're making us out to be the bad guy internationally and at home to a large portion of the population. So if we're at war with each other at home, because if Trump were to preemptively strike, that's not most of, of America is not going to agree with him. And that's going to further create divide in the country. So we're going to be weak at home, and that's going to make us vulnerable to a now unified. Uh, you know, part of the Eurasian landmass of Russia, China. But it does unify the population. So it might be a very long-term strategy where you look back and think, uh, well, the country was falling apart. We had the Great Depression or the Great Upheaval or whatever, the Great whatever. And uh, it was actually brilliant to get us into this horrible, murderous war because it kept the country together. I mean, that's what we do, right? I mean, we go into horrible, murderous wars to keep the country together. Yeah, but I think this time, if they're trying to topple the American empire, I think that that's why they're continuing. I don't think that's what it is. It's the British empire, and it's supposed to converge into a world empire or morph into the world empire is how I would look at it. If we're headed towards war, then they're not doing what they normally do. And maybe we're not headed towards war. But if we are, then they're not doing what they usually do. And what they usually do is all the messages serve as unifying messages. And they could have sprung from the hurricane the unifying message of everybody helping each other and turn that into a more unifying theme, but they didn't. Everything they deliver is intended to divide, further divide. So if we're escalating uh, the conflict internationally and we're also escalating the conflict at home, then we're setting ourselves up to lose a war if a war is impending. It's probably not. Right. Well, I think – I would think that if there were – a war coming, it would be big and long because that's what we do. A lot of people die. And then they, at the end you have a new maybe monetary regime. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like who loses, who wins? I mean, Germany and Japan so-called lost the last one, (laughs) you know, they're doing better than a lot of the so-called winners, you know? So who's to say, you know, it's like, I think it gets complicated. Yeah. saying they're setting us up to lose. Well, I think that's what they did with, you know, in pre in past wars with Germany, World War One. They were set up to lose. They they picked the demon. They demonized the guy who the Kaiser and they didn't have a chance. He tried to prevent the war and they didn't have a chance because they were they were decided to be the loser before that war even started. Maybe it's our turn to be the decided loser before a war even starts. It's kind of well, a, that. But. I don't know, because that one, I think, was the English. World War One and World War Two are like the same thing, basically. It was just this war to keep Germany from being a regional hegemon and from Germany and Russia, an alliance, from dominating that heartland. Now, again, you could say, as the British Empire still exists, if it still exists, if it's an underground empire and it has existed all this time, then that's the operating force and that uh, we would not be the Germany of it. We're we're an extension of the British. Uh, but 
it's not really national anymore. It's not people. It's it's a you know a cartel of this is the way I look at it. It's a cartel of financial powers or whatever. So they want Germany and Russia and China, everybody into the fold. It's this appetite to get it all under control, under their control. Oh, absolutely. And to do that, they have to destroy the remaining belief in the idea of, of Americanism. And if they can destroy the idea of Americanism, then they can get the whole country and most of the world to buy into internationalism, the world citizen idea. Because right now, there's a lot of the country who still does believe in Americanism, who still are patriotic without being racist, without being anti-Semitic. But there's also a growing portion of the country that is like, you know, doesn't like America because they've been had all this these formulas propagated at them to make them think that America's terrible and they should just they should hate our country. And you could actually skip the war if you could accomplish that because what what you can do and I used to think this is what it was all about. Now with returning manufacturing and the way they're actually restructuring stuff, I'm afraid now there's a real war coming. But if, but if you can get everybody, like what we were talking about originally, like is is Trump really just the catalyst to create a reaction in Europe to renew dedication to globalism? If if you can get people to be afraid of us enough, maybe they'll just accept the world government without firing a shot. But that I think the world government needs to kill half the people first. So I don't think they're going to allow that. Hopefully we're jumping the gun on the approach. I think I don't think we're going to war. I think this is another thing that bang No, I'm not saying anytime soon. I don't get that feeling either. I just I just don't if you look at a hundred year plan, look at a hundred years ago. They did World War One, they did World War Two. They I think they accomplished their goals. They moved America into a, a firmly collectivist society. Look at how far Russia has come, how far China has come. They, they were, Russia actually went through a 70 year communist phase and is basically on the other side of that. China is in that. So in a hundred years, a lot can happen. So I don't feel it right now, but if the point is that a hundred years from now, there's going to be a true world authority. And I think for sure that is the goal they think is attainable. How do we get from here to there in our children's lifetimes? I, I don't know, war or not war, but. I feel like without a war, it's there are too many people for them to control. Yeah, and that's the challenge of pointing this stuff out is it's not something that's intended to happen overnight, like flipping a switch. It is incrementalism. It's supposed to take a long period of time to transform the attitudes and beliefs and you know, maybe off a lot of the public the the population as well. They're on the long range plan, these guys. It's unbelievable yeah. how broad thinking they are when it comes they they can sit up in their little castles in the sky and just think about like yeah. you know big manipulation schemes all the time everybody else is worried about everyday things and you see it like i was looking up it was there's a i think it's the robert bosch foundation has a uh every once in a while a couple of years maybe or maybe every year talks about the challenges to world governance they just call it world governance and they talk about how to conform all the laws how to use technology for it i mean these think tanks which are all like a part of one network you can even see on the format of their websites they all look like they were designed by the same person they have the same philosophies they they are not just like thinking and you can't see it 
they're thinking about it. They're writing it down for everybody else to see. They put it in really nice language. So it sounds great. We need to end poverty. Well, it's like when I was a kid and I found out they were, they were going to end Down syndrome. I was like, that's awesome. They have a cure. My mother's like, no, <laughs> they're just, they can just diagnose them and then have abortions. So you can end a problem, you know, you can end poverty and it doesn't necessarily mean that it's a better answer than having it. But I, I did want to make one point is that one of the things that came out of this North Korea thing this week was that Trump wants to sell South Korea arms above and beyond what's the current parameters of like the restrictions, limitations. And I, for one, do not think that the defense companies ever should sell arms. The, the U.S., anybody who contracts with the U.S. for arms sales, any defense companies should never, ever be able to sell to anyone else, should never be able to. We should have a strict policy about keeping arms out, defend, weapons you know, country on the country level out of any other. If we're going to have a national, a nation state system on this globe instead of the sovereign citizen, which I would prefer, but if you're going to have that, we spend half the defense money in the world. If we're going to do that and we don't ever share anything with anyone, no technology to any of our allies or enemies, no weapons anywhere, we would absolutely positively face no threats whatsoever and could probably roll that back by a lot. So so you arm them to to make money for your guys and also to make sure that other people have the advanced technology that you need to use as an excuse to continue to advance your technology. So you have to keep year after year after year after year, spend a trillion dollars on defense. Plus by beefing up the arms of South Korea, obviously, I mean, that's what they said was one big thing for world war one is that they, Germany had dreadnoughts and they wanted to use them. You know, they have, once you have those weapons, you want to shoot them off. And uh, so I think arming people to the teeth is not, uh, you know, beyond anything you need is not the way, is is it looking for trouble? I, I'm a big fan of uh, carry a big stick and every single person on earth, we'd probably be better off if everybody had, had a gun. Yeah. Maybe if every country had nukes, you know, I mean, that is really... A, a radical thought, but everybody being armed is the true deterrent. So I'm on board with it. But I think what's happening with South Korea is an example of something that works against our national security. What you described, it reminded me of the Apple scheme that they do with their iPhones and their iPads. They disseminate the new iPhone to everybody. And eventually people get the welfare iPhones. I think we may have played a clip from one of the people from the hurricane complaining about theirs last week. Everybody gets the new phone, and once everybody is updated on the technology, then they advance the technology, making that technology obsolete so they can then make a whole bunch more money with the upgraded phone. It gets to the point where your your plug doesn't even work on the that's, new That's outrageous. I know. That is really – they can't make the plug the same. Yeah, yeah, it's basically right, yeah. We're yeah. selling South Korea the iPhone, and then once South Korea has the technology and the iPhone, we're like, well, our iPhone is no longer better than their iPhone because we gave them our iPhone. Right. So we now gotta- we need a better iPhone, and then we're going to sell it to them, and we're going to need a better iPhone. Yeah, you know, the only difference is that it's it, it, with Apple, they're really competing against themselves, and I guess that's what we are doing, competing against ourselves. Yeah, there you go. Did mm-hmm. you read Obama's letter 
to Trump that was in the news this week? No, I, I feel like Obama is still on that boat with Richard Branson, still on a jet ski somewhere, and he just gets a text once in a while, tweet once in a while, hey, keep a low profile, you just made a speech. Okay. <laughs> like only right i just don't see the I don't think you wrote the letter it's just the content of the letter and first of all if it was a letter directed to trump how's cnn getting a copy of it and releasing this private letter that was sent to him I mean, this is ridiculous is it supposedly private oh yeah yeah That's private letter that obama wrote to trump that he got on the first day and Trump said he cherished it. And then CNN this week says, we got a copy of the letter Obama sent to it. And they just, they just, ooh, they loved it so much. Obama's so great. He wrote this, this unprecedented letter to President Trump. And really the letter is like a, it's like a generic, it's not insightful. There's nothing unique about it. It's like you got it out of a copy machine at a globalist office or something like that. It just promotes internationalism and really says nothing specific. The letter said, American leadership in this world is indispensable. It's up to us through action and example to sustain the international order that's expanded steadily since the end of the Cold War and upon which our own wealth and safety depend. Oh, it's an ad for the New World Order. That's exactly what it is. All right. You got anything else on North Korea? Are you done? I'm done. Put Kim Jong-un to bed now that he's a rational actor and everybody thinks he's sane now. Which, by the way, the, the whole concept that he was crazy before and that he might bomb us is absolutely ridiculous. Look at the guy's life. I mean, the guy lives in a place – he lives in a country where the public really thinks he's a god. The guy, <laughs> he doesn't well, want to mess that up. Right. He's not going to commit suicide unless – the only way he bombs us is if he has some kind of secret agreement and he knows that we won't, he, we won't react. Or he knows that he'll destroy us. That's the only way. Of course he's defending himself. Yeah, it's uh, the whole idea that there are all these extremely powerful, either elected or entrenched leaders who are insane and irrational and suicidal with their fingers on the button. And everybody's just standing around looking at this kid, hoping he doesn't press the button you know, in his own country. It's just not – doesn't make sense. It's not believable. All right, the next thing that has everybody outraged is the proposed DACA repeal. Yeah. Apparently, according to the media, Trump took all the dreamers, the kids who came over as kids. Their parents brought them over illegally, had nothing to do with their own, and Trump threw them all into the ocean yesterday. Yeah, well, he wants them to die because he's a racist. That's how the media reported it. <laughs> CNN was saying they were reporting on Hurricane Harvey. Sarah's home got devastated. Then three short days later, things got worse. President Trump promised to repeal the DACA Act. Now she fears that she'll be shipped back to a country that she doesn't even remember. Poor Sarah. I feel bad for her. I think I'll sh I should go march. We should march, march for Sarah. <laughs> go to march for Sarah. No, the whole DACA thing. Seems to me to be a bait and switch the way when Edward Snowden came out and attacked these illegal practices that were thinly veiled by some uh, Section 12 or whatever of the Patriot Act. It's like it's not even legal, blah, blah, blah. We should at least have a discussion about this. I predicted day week two that the end game there would be that when it came up for renewal two years hence, there would be – it would be institutionalized. Those very practices, which were a little bit sketchy under the law, we would be so used to them that we would just accept changing the law 
to uh, to kind of codify the practice, which is exactly what happened with USA Freedom Act. And with this, as soon as I saw, I heard Jeff Sessions thing say, we don't like the executive order of Obama that circumvented the will of the people. Congress tried and failed to pass this thing. And Obama did it anyway. It would have been overturned by a judge because it's totally illegal. And I was like, yeah, yeah, got it. And then Trump came out and tweeted that uh, Congress, get ready to do your job. If you want to, if you want the Dreamer Act, you figure it out. Now, for me, that's foreshadowing that they are going to give him whatever immigration plan serves the purposes of uh, uh, whoever. I mean, the the immigration stuff. I think has two people want immigration. A lot of immigration from the power side are people who really do want cheap labor, an endless stream of cheap labor, and the people who want to disrupt the communities, both in those other countries and here, because community power, social power is the is the antithesis of state power. It's a zero sum game. So if you can weaken the community, you can you strengthen the state. So they'll probably get an immigration bill that doesn't uh really change anything. You know, it's not going to satisfy the people who are against immigration. I have a couple more things to say about immigration, so let's might go for a sec. Uh, but it will have the Dreamers Act in there. So you will have a codification of that exact thing uh, wrapped up in some other stuff. But they, I think, with things like immigration and abortion, when they talk about policy changes, the powers that be want population control, which includes population reduction and weakening of the community. So anything that is any, the, I believe that the policy trends will never change, deviate from that direction. I, other policies can come and go, but those things, when people have hope for those particular things, I don't, I don't think so. But I did notice in today's paper, where uh, on the uh, – so in, in today's paper, it talks about uh, – one of the articles was polls show America's divisions growing. And one of the – the biggest change was in 2005, Republicans and Democrats were very close, closely aligned. I think 40 percent basically or 35 to 40 percent thought that – of Democrats and Republicans thought that immigration strengthened the U.S., now in 2017, uh, 35% to 40% of Republicans think immigration strengthens the U.S. and 80% of Democrats think immigration strengthens the U.S. So, and I remember hearing Republicans say, we want to create this divisive issue because we need people to get off the couch to vote Republican. We're, we're having complacency. This was a long time ago. I heard that like eight years ago. And uh, so this divisiveness over immigration, I think, has been really pumped up by the elite, uh, but it's really just a device, a divisiveness device where the policymakers are actually converging. So here you have the polls show that America, it says America's divisions are growing. So the population's divisions are growing, but the politicians' divisions are narrowing, which was also exemplified in another headline from today's paper, which was uh, Trump stuns GOP by siding with Democrats on tying Harvey aid to uh, debt ceiling relief or something to that effect. So Trump is 
is only going to get policies passed that the Democrats like, which is like infrastructure, anything spending or cronyistic, Trump's going to get done. And the other stuff, they're not going to get done, whether on purpose or not. So the politicians are moving close together, whereas where the the people are at each other's throats. Yeah, I love the idea that he stunned the GOP. Like they were just left with their jaws dropped. <laughs> And it's so it's like three month debt ceiling relief. Did anyone really think the Democrats or the Republicans were going to stand in the way of more spending and more taxes or whatever? They're just not. Everybody's on board with more spending. And with that Dreamers Act, he didn't do anything. They're acting like he did something horribly racist. Did he revoke the executive order? No, he said he was going to in six months. They were going to end it. Is that true? Like it's not going to end for six months? Well, they're going to end it in six months, and then he tweeted last night during the oh, middle. Oh, you have six months to take care of this Congress, right? Well, no, he actually tweeted. This, this is what he said, and what he said is telling to, I think, his intent is he said that they have six months to legalize the DACA. Congress now has six months to legalize the DACA. That's a tweet direct? Yeah. If they can't, uh, I will revisit the issue. That's what he said. So he's not going to do anything. It's like the Muslim ban. Uh, you know, they re- worded it so crazily that it was not, not going to actually happen. Yeah, exactly. It's like the Muslim ban. It's like the Paris Agreement. He's not – we're pulling out of the Paris Agreement. gives the public illusion to his base that he's actually doing something in reality. You can't pull out of the Paris Agreement for two years, and he's been talking about working within the structure flexibly, which is what we were already doing. Yeah, because it was toothless anyway. So it's causing all this reaction, yet he's not – he's doing nothing more than making – Oh, I think he's – I think he's getting it codified i think he's actually right actually what obama could not do that's your yeah that uh, goes to your theory where he has the cover so he's going to be able to get these policies of uh the left or liberal policies passed when obama couldn't well and obama got the war in syria going i mean obama dropped twenty thousand bombs a year i don't think trump is even doing that anymore i think trump is actually losing that war oh really yeah it's it's you know i haven't it's never covered in the in the mainstream news. I read the journal and that kind of stuff, but I think I mean, I can't believe it, but it looks like Syria's going backwards. I mean, in a good way. I think people are going back to Syria, refugees and stuff. Yet at the same time, all the liberals are like, "Here, we have refugee packages." It's like, "Aren't you happy that some of the bombs have stopped, you know? Let those people go back where they want, where they live." then how are we going to have it that as a social issue to divide people with? Right, but even the war protests used to be a social issue to divide people, but it didn't work. The military-industrial complex, which controls CNN and Fox, don't want that. And it was it's funny in this article about the polls dividing America, it says fully, uh, fully 80% of those surveyed saw the country as mainly or totally divided but democrats and independents tended to see the division as rooted in economics the income gap between the rich and the poor this is a side point by me that's interesting the income gap between rich and poor is creating more divisiveness and its goal might be just to be divisive um because that was orchestrated by the fed that's another topic uh, we could do a libertarian minute on that if you want uh, but republicans saw the split as political with people divided based on party affiliation, 
and as a function of which media outlets they follow, which is interesting to me because they see the division as a result of what media people watch. And I don't know if that's a chicken or egg problem. I think it's probably 100% true that it's highly correlated that anybody who in good faith watches Fox or CNN is going to, not like me, I watch them just to see what they're up to. But if you're really watching them to get your information, you are going to be completely propagandized one way or the other. Yeah, that is interesting that they think it's economic. I can see that as a certain aspect of it. Well, that's communism. Then because that economic divide didn't really translate around the world, that's when they started with that cultural Marxism and the Frankfurt School where they said, well, if the economic divide isn't going to get the people, the poor people to revolt against the rich people because they still feel like they're part of the same body, the same community, the same nation. If we get them to feel uh, opposed to one another, not having a shared identity, if we divide them by sex or um, subgroup, ethnicity, whatever, then they, then we might be able to get them to, to fight, you know, but that, but that doesn't even rise up against the hierarchy. That just causes people to fight with each other, which benefits the hierarchy. That's exactly, I mean, they talk about this in, in, in that book, how the economic approach doesn't always unify enough people and how, when they approach the labor unions, when they, when they try to infiltrate those organizations, that those organizations are a little bit harder to manipulate the beliefs of because they've often worked together for a long period of time and have forged their beliefs and their lifestyle you know, through blood and sweat working in these labor unions. So they weren't as manipulatable as the other masses who are maybe unemployed, who – People generally who have a leadership. Oh, yeah. That's a community. It's community coherence. Exactly. That's what they don't like. Yeah. So that's interesting. Yeah. That shows you the power of, of a, of a common, a group that's together for common, uh, interests. And, and they, the, the common interests or the unifying element of it, which we see in the indivisible guide and we see in this book and this, it's, when you look at it, it makes perfect sense. All these demagogues and these groups throughout history have done the same thing. When you have this loose collection of people that form a mass, that form one social force that you can use to destroy, to take power away from one group and give it to yourself. If you focus on what these individual individuals in these groups want, they're going to conflict and fight with each other because their interests are so diverging and they come from all different walks of life. So you have to push that away and you have to focus only on the the pain and the fear that is right in front of them because that is the only thing that will unify them together. That is the glue that holds these groups together, and it explicitly says that, that theme in the Indivisible Guide. It says, I know a lot of you guys want to think about what you want, your progressive, specific progressive values. We don't have time for that right now. Right now, we must unify together and resist. And they reemphasize that fear so that people don't say, hey, wait a minute. What happens if we overcome Trump? Who gets what they <laughs> And do? what? Yeah, exactly. But that they goes don't... with why Trump and Hillary were simply defined best by being hateable. Yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. Hillary in her new book, apparently she writes about how she just doesn't understand why people don't like her. And then she comes to the conclusion 
that it's probably because she's a woman. <laughs> a woman who cackles by yeah. killing Gaddafi. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that it's a woman, a scary, murderous, sociopathic woman. I wake up this morning and, you know, there's a massive, according to the previous day, the worst hurricane in history is just pounding a small island that nobody can get in contact with. You know, lead story right there, but that's not the lead story on CNN. The lead story on CNN is a story about how CNN stayed up all night reading Hillary's <laughs> book. That's hilarious. CNN is now speaking in the third person about itself, which is an entity. Speaking of Indivisible, as I often do, Indivisible is the propaganda organ that powers the Trump resistance. Along with spreading propaganda nationwide, they also train new members or they teach new members community organizing, agitation, and disruption tactics. They actually do weekly Facebook live trainings that anybody from all over the country can tune into. And I like to tune into these because I like to get an idea of where their narrative is heading next. And I have some clips for you today that are pretty eye-opening from a recent training. This first clip, this is a guy who is a head of the Color of Change. They're a group that works with Indivisible. I don't have his name on me right now, but he is their main campaign guy. And we've told you about the YouTube suppression, about how our videos are getting censored. He's talking about who they're going to pressure next. Right. Here's the clip. We're running a campaign called... Uh, no blood money. You can check it out. Hashtag no blood. No blood money. Um, but it's it's targeting the credit card companies, the um, processing companies, American Express, Visa. Um, but primarily, right now, we're focused on Discovery. Uh, we, they're the folks who've shown the least kind of interest in moving. What the, what a lot of them are doing is they're processing money. The the donations that keep some of these white supremacist organizations and websites live. That is the, the real danger that we're facing. So that's Disco I think he means Discover and not Discovery. Discover is a credit card, kind of the poor man's card. It's what my mom uses. And because it's lower, maybe it's lower income people, maybe that's you know the the populist card of choice. But yeah, he's saying they're not capitulating. Isn't that a um Jesse Jackson tactic? What is the definition of capitulating? It's, it's they're not succumbing to the pressure. They're not giving in. They're not right. surrendering. Yeah, not all of them are, but a few of them have apparently. But he's saying Discover is the one who isn't, so we have to all target them. Yeah, I mean that's that's uh, coercion. It's political coercion, but that's what this all is, right? It's political coercion. But who is he to who who you really? have to who or are, is he saying that people should boycott discover is that what the tactic is the method did he did he say did you hear well what they do is they have these sessions people ask questions about the the next initiative every single day they send out blogs and and weekly action steps and a weekly action step for this i'll have to check my email is going to be to call discovery email here's the email discover. address uh, discover. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Here's the email address of the CEO or whatever. They're going right. to give them contact information. They're going to give them scripts, just like the scripts I use to call the senator. Oh, and, yeah. And so they're going to have them pressure them and they hold these live training sessions and people, they ask clarifying questions to help them better put pressure on these groups and just to help them better succeed at, at their pressure tactics. So, yes, they are encouraging them 
to do this. This guy, it's this is a problem I've had with a lot of things, and I actually think Bastiat in the Law talks about it from. Like, oh, that's a great book. Yeah, 150 years ago, I think he says, "Like, be careful that you don't just switch places with the oppressors. That you don't want to." So I, I've seen this before. I had a friend from Israel, and and uh, long time, like in college. And he was telling me that there's a real conflict in Israel. I think it's still true because there was, was it Yitzhak Rabin? Who was one of the prime ministers or presidents, whatever, was assassinated, a left-wing guy who was trying to, I think, maybe go down the path of a two-state solution. And then the right-wing Israeli supposedly assassinated him. There's some controversy over whether that guy was a lone wolf or, you know, what his story was. But Netanyahu has been in power ever since then, I think, basically. But but he was saying there was a the real ideological divide there with what, what was the real lesson of the Holocaust. Was the real lesson of the Holocaust that we need to, you know, like that poem, they came for the trade unions, they came for the socialists, they came for the Jews. I didn't stand up for them. And when it was my turn, there was no one there to stand up for me. Is that the real lesson where we need to really stand up for everybody, whether you like them or not, and have these universal principles? Or is the real lesson we need to band together and defend ourselves because we are a target. We're a uniquely targeted group. And uh, and I, for one, I am. I think the answer lies in the principles always. That's why I'm such a defender of the Constitution and the Bill of Rights and libertarianism, individuality, sovereign citizenship, you know, real true equal rights, not equal entitlements, not equal benefits, not equal outcomes, not equal privileges, equal rights. So everyone should have the easily defined rights. Don't touch me or my stuff. And that's it. So, and then if you want to take it on the kind of American level where you have the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, this guy is clearly, and this is why I don't like the populism, is that they're converting what was a disgruntlement on the right in the Republican Party, where there was this resurgence, there was a, a recognition of a crisis, the liberty movement arose to restore America's, America, America's foundational values and documents. And the Republican Party itself, like Karl Rove's crossroad, Crossroads Pact to try to suppress those grassroots uh, um, candidates in the primaries, like the Republicans came to suppress that and they replaced it, in my opinion, on purpose with Trump's populism, which abandons principles and simply says we're going to use the power of the government as it is to benefit our group. And that is where I completely part company uh, as a libertarian with with what they call the right and conservatism. I don't want to use the government to enforce my values or to pay me back. You know, I don't want that. And what this guy is doing similarly, and, and I think the left has also been completely overturned, he is betraying what used to be the very clear-cut uh, values of your kind of rank-and-file lefty where they really cared about civil liberties. They used to talk about that. And people had hope for that with Obama. And they were going to, and and now what he's saying is we are going to use strong arm tactics to suppress free speech. Uh, and we're the arbiters of what that is. And, and trust, I, you know, I, obviously 
It's going to be a broader brush, not an arrow brush, because in the next clip you have, he talks about how they need to expand what they're suppressing. Exactly. And that's why a lot of these people are willing to do this because they're propagated with the idea that there's this genuine Nazi white nationalist, white supremacist threat spreading across America. So they're what they're thinking. They're not even thinking about civil liberties. They're thinking we have to do whatever we can to stop it. Yet they don't consider what the definition of or how they're applying the, they're broadly applying the definition of white nationalist, white supremacist or whatever to include anybody who disagrees with their narrative. So it's not about science. Right, because now they're saying it's like you either support Black Lives Matter or you're a white supremacist. That goes to your clip four where they define it all as white supremacy. Yeah, I'll play that one real quick. Um, yeah, and then we'll play the Are second. Not- yeah, okay, yeah. This is a clip. Basically, this is how they – this tone of this next clip is – it underlies every communication they have. This is the theme. These people are hearing this over and over and over and over again everywhere they turn. So this is drilled into them where it becomes an automatic reflexive belief that anybody who questions it, they just – they throw their hands up and scream at them. Donald Trump's agenda is really a white supremacist agenda. It's a white nationalist agenda. He's going after people of color. He's going after, uh, he's defending Confederate monuments. He's going after transgender uh, uh, people. He's going after Latinos. He's going after immigrants. Um, that's who this person is. All right. Can I react to that? Yeah, take it away. So this, this bothers me, the stark reality of this, and, and it's true for all of this stuff. You're worried about actions. You're worried about people using their thoughts or words or whatever to, to, to make, to take away your rights, to take your stuff or hurt your body. So what's the problem with a white supremacist? Well, in Trump's case, as my son, who has Down syndrome and just cannot accept the subtleties, he just parrots what he hears in school. Trump wants to return Africans to slavery. I mean, it embarrasses me to say it, but that is what he as that's what he says. Like he hates Trump. He write, he wrote on his own wall in his room uh, something disparaging about Trump, which I never say anything like that. But that that is an actual idea that he has in his head, and and also like this deportation thing. He wants to get rid of every Hispanic in this country. But if you just stop for a second and think about it, I looked up the demographics. The along like the last census, I think it was, America was like sixty percent or sixty one percent white. The South, Georgian stuff, it's like half and half. It's maybe half white. So there is absolutely no way he's uh, could that that this. I mean, yes, maybe it could erupt in an all-out civil war, but you just had uh, more people vote for Obama, you know, than any other Democrat in history. So you've got all these people, many, 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 many white people who would not fight on the side of this tiny, weird, fringy supremacist thing, which I think is basically trumped up anyway. Yeah. What you're not, you know, you you have, they're not going to deport everybody with Hispanic, with a Spanish surname or return people to slavery based on color. We're all slaves. We're tax slaves. But so what is the, so it's really just a war on thoughts. And I do think the thoughts are highly promoted in like, I think a lot of these alt-right 
sites are um, top down on purpose to try to gin up this identity feeling like the, the right is trying to use the identity stuff the way the left always has. So I think it's a trap from the beginning, but the, but the reality is it's pure divisiveness. It's not, nobody's going to do it. You know, it's not going to happen. To think that Nazis are going to take over America or white, there's a a better chance that a a T-Rex is going to fly out of Trump's backside. It's crazy, but people they think that. And most of these people, if you ask them, have you ever seen a Nazi in person, not on TV? Have you ever seen a Nazi? Most of the people who are being propagandized by this have probably never been in a situation that's being described to them as the norm in their life. Right. And and then, and like with the with the Hispanic stuff, if you really wanted to go full socialist, they the real kind of traditional socialist viewpoint would be that bringing these uh, immigrants and illegal immigrants into the workforce here drives wages down. That it's that that you know the way they talk about low wages as being equivalent to slavery, which I would absolutely never ever say any arm's length transaction. I don't care if you're legal or illegal; you should be able to hire whoever you want. Whatever. I, uh, as a libertarian in a free society, it's nobody's business who you hire or you don't hire. But but they're defending the right to keep illegal immigrants here, which is really, you know, real socialist utopia would would consider that a kind of slavery. So the the only actual outcome would be that they continue to give cover to what i what i think is one viewpoint a wage suppression mechanism exactly it's it's you're exactly right it's not the white nationalists it's not that stuff that they're after it's the thoughts it's it's any thoughts or ideas that disagree or that threaten their narrative and people who are supporting them right now when that when that definition of who threatens their narrative expands it might include them. They're going to find themselves on the other end of it, just like a lot of people who are not at all white nationalists, not at all Nazis, are finding themselves on. Like, we're getting our YouTube stuff. I know. It's so funny. But you, you had a great point earlier off the air that I, the way I always think about this stuff, and, I, and I'm, I'm wrong, like I, and I'm not thinking about it quite right, I always think of it as dialectical. So you think Antifa, neo-Nazi. I always think of like these extremes kind of battling each other, and it's their... Uh, that's the dialectic, but but I I don't always focus on the purpose of the dialectic, the thesis versus the ant- antithesis, antithesis, is the synthesis. And the synthesis, when you look back at the 20th century, you look at fascism and communism as the kind of two antitheses. But the synthesis is this is is both what we have in this country, which is this corporate cronyistic fascistic top layer and this food stamp welfare. Uh, socialist bottom layer. It's it's a, a true synthesis of of the whole yucky stuff. So when you see this uh, war of ideas at this extreme level at the top, it's not really that that guy Black Lives Matters is concerned about Nazis. It's that all of them want to make sure that we don't think too hard, that we don't think outside the box they want to put there for us. And if we keep our thoughts real narrow, we won't see what's happening. We won't resist the the tyranny. The other day, it was that Boston rally, 
It said free speech rally. And I'm telling you, before I could stop the thought passing across my mind, I thought, oh, more Nazis. I would never go to a rally like that. They didn't say anything about Nazis or neo-Nazis or any of that bullshit. I just thought free speech rally, obviously, code for Nazis. I'm just, you know, I I don't. So Uh, now I can't even. I mean, I've been purged. My brain has been purged of free speech defense. They've taken these positive words that used to be associated with liberty and freedom, and they've associated them with horrible things, making it hard for us to use them anymore. They've hijacked them. Yeah, so the, so when the left should be talking about uh, anti-war, they're talking about refugees. They should be they should be depend, defending free speech, but they're anti-Nazi. You know, you can't. I, I, I don't know how they're going to bastardize or um, demonize anti-war. I guess the right demonizes the anti-war word. I'd love to go to a war protest, but I wouldn't because I'm sure it's full of communists. <laughs> there aren't any anymore. Actually, I would go. I was kind of being tongue in cheek there, but I would go no matter who it was full of because that is the one thing that could truly unite us. That is that is what finally convinced me recently that there's absolutely no way Ron Paul's controlled opposition because he spoke openly about the wars being crap. Yeah. Now, these statues which fold into some of this, this clip speaks to that, which I think the statues, by the way, along with the other things it does by holding these protests and these rallies about taking the statues down is it draws out the people who have threatening opinions and threatening ideas about it. Because when you see these big elaborate displays on television of people fighting over a statue and anti-fa Nazis, people write blogs about it. They post on Facebook their opinions. They post Because of the powerful images? Yeah, well, they... Everybody, everybody who watched the Charlottesville thing had an opinion on it, and they went to Facebook and said, well, they should be able to leave the statue up, or it doesn't matter. They yeah. need to- Nazis. So everybody posted their opinion, and that's how they collect data on us. So that enables Facebook and their algorithms to target the people who are saying, you know, you're not a Nazi just because you want to defend a statue or whatever. So it draws these people out. People may, They do radio shows about it. it. They make YouTube videos about it. So it draws out all the people they want to silence by holding these demonstrations, making them easier to – Oh, that, that, happened, that happened in Iraq, and it happened in Hungary where – they do flush out the first line of resistance. Yeah. And, and that's what my father always said gun registries were for, to identify. And that's what the police cameras will provide facial recognition images of people at protests. The 100 Flowers campaign in communist China, Mao, Mao, how do you, I can't ever say his name. Mao? Mao, there you go, Mao. He, for 100 days, they said... Anybody can openly criticize the regime. It was it was a total trap. <laughs> they started rounding people up. Right. Anybody who was too stupid to fall for that might actually lead yeah, a resistance. Like, wow, this is great. Freedom of speech. And then 100 days, you wow. better play it while it lasts. So this next clip is the guy talking about, are we just targeting statues? What are we targeting next? Um, beyond statues, are there efforts to change names for schools and other public buildings and spaces? Uh, definitely. Yeah, actually, um, uh, we've been moving away from the language of just talking about Confederate statues and really talking about the symbols of white supremacy. So there are things that are also outside of the Confederacy that, you know, may, probably should be changed. Uh, for instance, this, this, there's the uh, monument outside of the Maryland, that was outside of the Maryland State Capitol in Annapolis. Um, I uh, can't remember the name right now, but the judge who ruled in the Dred Scott case, right? Like he was a Confederate general, but 
his history was pretty um, aligned with white supremacist agenda in America. Um, at, any, at any rate, yes, schools, public buildings, parks, streets, highways. Um, we um, have been doing been looking at a lot of the highways in Virginia post Ferguson. You know, we, they still have Jefferson Davis Highway, um, Lee. Lee Jefferson Highway. These are, you know, stuff that's controlled by folks in Virginia um, and that, you know, should be renamed at the, the, and, that, and are controlled at the state level, not just local level. So everything. Yep. Everything. Symbols of old and replace them with. Yeah, see, that's the thing. They're going to replace them with their own methods of using symbols, using the narrative to control uh, the thoughts and feelings of the people. There was I, an article today in the journal that said, while while people are trying to get rid of Confederate statues here, Putin is erecting a statue uh, to the guy who founded the intelligence police, you know, or whatever, secret police 80 years ago, and then has a quote from Putin saying, we want to respect all uh, periods of our history. And it's just funny because Putin and Russia continue to be held up as like the heroes of the alt-right and yeah. positioned that way by the Wall Street Journal, for example. Yeah, it plays right into the, the dialectic too. Totally. It could even be completely made up for all I know. But And speaking <sighs> of what you just said, the guy in the third clip, he says explicitly, yeah, we need to put up some new statues. Here it is. When we take them down, yes, we should be replacing them. We should be putting up memorials um, to the to the communities and, and peoples who were victimized. You know, folks who were enslaved in these states. Um, uh, we should be recognizing indigenous peoples who uh, who were on these lands before uh, and were oftentimes victims of, of genocide. So I, I think it's really important uh, to to do those marks. We should be celebrating the heroes of those movements uh, rather than uh, celebrating white supremacists. You know what's galling about this to me? What? Is the the foundational documents of the United States are the only hope for the individual, for the little guy. America is the hope. Everybody in the world has pretty much always known that the American, I shouldn't say that's a crazy thing to say, but the American experiment is a basically idealized image of what liberty and justice for all would be like if these people really cared about their brethren, however they define that in the here and now, they would recognize that we're all Americans with a shared history. My family all emigrated. I have, I, nobody in my family was even here when there was slavery or a civil war and I feel absolutely like a defender of the Constitution of the Bill of Rights, purely American. We could all embrace that for our own good and unite. And, and actually, that's something, this ideology of tyranny by preparata, a book I'm trying to start. It's a little intellectual for my bedtime reading. But uh, he talks about how the divisiveness is the actual tool, ideology of tyranny. It's the tool to keep us from uniting in defense of basic rights, of uh, not, you know, against imperialistic wars and that kind of thing. That that what this guy is doing is exactly the opposite 
of trying to give liberty and justice, trying to work for liberty and justice to black people, to white people, to anybody who's alive right now in this America. We should all be focusing on the fundamental rights, not trying to undermine the fundamental rights for some narrative you want to replace. It it does remind me of the communist stuff you've been talking about. This is exactly what Lenin did after the Russian Revolution. The the Bolsheviks they purred, they targeted the symbols, they purged them, and the people that they helped that helped them purge the symbols. They ousted from the party after they put up the new symbols. They, so these people who they're propagating this to, all these indivisible and these resistance people, when push comes to shove, like we talked about earlier, if they were to get Trump out, nobody's, nobody's asked, hey, what's next? Because they're not going to get an answer because what's next they're not going to like. They help them do all of this stuff, and then they're not going to get anything. In fact, if they try to get something, if they try to undermine the power that this, this group has, has gained through this whole resistance process, they will get – Exiled from the party, they'll get. What slammed. do they think they want? Though they're asked to not even think about wanting. They're asked to not even come up with their own words. They're given script. I mean, they are controlled from the top. They're controlled from the top because they have given them these small tasks to complete in their local areas, and they've created these groups, and they've they've gained this psychological commitment to this group that is just it, it's it's bound them together, and they will do anything that the people at the top tell them to do. I feel like I, I wouldn't go that far with the Trump thing, although when it brings in elements of the cult of personality, I think it does have that, like, do whatever, go go along. But there there is that void, that ideological void there that I try to say to people. They, they defend Trump, and I just say, you know, what do you want from him? What do you expect from him? What do you think he promised you? What would you consider to be success? So when you see uh, him... The, the his greatest success so far is today, or I should say, a noteworthy slam dunk for him was raising the debt ceiling and getting Harvey aid. I I predict the same thing for infrastructure uh, spending. I don't know about the tax cuts. It sounds to me like it'll be a horrible mess, so it probably will pass. <laughs> the tax reform. Uh, I just I I try to ask people what they want. Don't wouldn't. Wouldn't everybody kind of agree that the most important thing, I would say people on the right anyway, who think they are defenders of the Constitution, wouldn't they want to restore the Bill of Rights first and foremost and not have Harvey relief? I mean, to a very rich state. I just don't, they they no longer can identify an ideology, but, but with Ron Paul, they could identify an ideology and that could spread and it did spread. And that was the, that was the threat, and I think it's on the left and the right. They're trying to get rid of the ideo- ideological elements and just simply, I mean, I don't even, and then just focus on identity. But how do you even, how does a white congressional staffer, what identity does he share with Black Lives Matters or La Raza or LGBTQ or whatever? How do you, you know what I mean? Like, what is the common? Yeah. What is the identity? If there's no ideology, what even binds them together? Fear, hatred. Oh yeah, right. It's the uh, that's what it all comes from. That's what the Trump Hillary thing really, truly. Any you even to this day, you ask people what they like about Trump, and they say Hillary would have been worse. Exactly. That's the answer. And that's and they they're so hateable by the opposing sides that 
that's a good enough answer. Acceptable answer. Yeah. But we can't worry about what we want. We just had to stop that evil. But it's, it's all evil. Fall into that trap. It really is. It's it's tribalism. It's I watched a Georgia Tech football game for four hours the other day, and they had 655 yards, outgained the other team by over 300 yards. The other team was ranked. Tech wasn't supposed to be good. They, they should have won the game by 28 points, but because they're Georgia Tech and anybody who is a fan of them is committed to a life <laughs> of misery, they lost 42-41 to 41 in double overtime. <laughs> Turnovers and missed field goals. And it ruined my night. I was so – I knew it too. I, I thought said, you were going on the wagon. No, I, I say that every year. I, the only way that it, I'm going to get it off the wagon or on the wagon is if they just eliminate the Georgia Tech sports program so I don't have to deal with it anymore. But I was angry <laughs> whenever I thought about a Tennessee fan or whatever. I would see a Tennessee fan and, and think, man, I hate that person's face. <laughs> just because it was ten- – just because I was so mad. It, it plays off of that same thing. These people who are buying into the propaganda on the left and the right, they live with that feeling that I had every single day because that sports propaganda – probably sets up a template for that, a stereotypical – I don't have sports like in my psyche, so I don't really get it. I, yeah. Maybe that's why I'm open – you know, I see it all as a two-party psyop. Maybe that whole sports – Industry is designed to set up the war mentality. The the, the I, I, devoid of content. Say that again. It is a war metaphor. Sports and everything yes, about. Sports. I know that. Yes, I do know that. But I mean, it's just devoid of content, too. I mean, there's no content. It's just the form of war without the ideology or the slight. You know what I mean? They all start out on two halves of the field, yeah. and then they just like take over the other side. Let's the Seinfeld has a joke about boxing where he says uh, boxing would make a lot more sense if before the boxing match they put the two boxers in two little cars and they drove around the ring, got into a car accident, road rage, then they had a reason to fight. <laughs> that would make more sense. But, yeah, you don't even get that. And I feel like that's what politics have come to. Yeah, I, you're right. So what else? What else we got? Anything else on our agenda? That's all I have. Did you have a – a word you wanted to do or a Liberty Minute? Oh, I did. I did want to, I think maybe uh, just give you in parting a glossary word that I should add to the glossary that uh, Alan sent me called doxing, D-O-X-I-N-G. And what it is, is when people out those at protests or rallies. So they figure out who you are. They look you up on social media. They uh, tell people try to get kind of publicized that you were at this on PC event on the wrong side of the protest or whatever, and just shame you, get you fired, whatever. Alan thought it meant, and maybe there is an application of this, but this is also something to fear that when the police have body cameras and they can use facial recognition, just because that's how the body cameras will work at protests, that's, uh, that adds to your dossier. It, it just adds to the same way they scan license plates and there's a complete three-dimensional through time and space image of you and your life uh, that will be fed. It was already fed. You can look at your phone. It's already fed into algorithms uh, that can predict your behavior. It, it goes to all that predictive uh, crime, you know, pre-crime, precog stuff like that they can figure out if you're having an affair if you go to a residence at lunchtime you know that kind of all, you know repeatedly that's not your home that that kind of thing will set up flags it's just uh the doxing is one thing i don't know if there's a word for the the rest of it but i feel like it's all uh, of one thing 
Well, that speaks to what we were talking about earlier with that indivisible clip where they're talking about targeting the credit card companies is what's next. You're going to target, you know, Publix, Kroger, you're going to put people's picture up on the wall and say, don't serve people. Don't let people buy food here who look like this. Try to cut off every resource that people need to live. So how far is it going to go? And your spending information is harvested. I have a friend, um, well, somebody who has some inside information that, (laughs) and you can see it because your ads, they can, there are certain entities, if not every entity or Google or whatever can go through your emails and they will go through your emails and look at invoices, look at your Amazon receipts and stuff. And they form a picture of you for advertising purposes and for statistics that's happening right now. You can, you can try to turn it off. I think you may be able to turn it off, but that happens. You can see sometimes ads pop up that reflect that. But if they're looking at your spending habits and the vendors you use and and they can do the opposite, look at vendors and see who they're serving. Yeah. I mean, and if they can cut you off from commerce, that's another reason why these consolidated cities, this was one of the agenda items for Harvey was we should do what the Dutch do. And everybody lives in super tall buildings right in the middle of the country. And I don't even know if that's true about the Dutch, but to use Harvey as a way to say, Hey, we need to uh, consolidate our cities, consolidating cities, taking away cars, taking away our autonomy, taking away our access to land that can grow food to clean water, uh, all that kind of stuff is part of this control mechanism. So if you if you are in that highly controlled society and they cut off your ability to uh, interact in the marketplace, so if there's a cashless society and they decide that you personally, uh, you know, they continue to call the credit card companies private, the way they call Google private, yeah. then the private company gets to ban you in a cashless society, you could starve to death. You know what I mean? And of yeah. course, getting a permit to operate a credit card company in a cashless society is something that will be issued by the government. So it's just, it's, uh, these are things that are on the, in the works. I want to, I'm going to look up, uh, that'd be my homework assignment and see if Indivisible is instructing people to do doxing. I bet that yeah. they are. Yeah, I don't know. I, I saw that word repeatedly. I didn't see any other word for it. I don't know what else they would call it. So you could probably see it. Did we might have talked about this? Did you know that Google? They, I think they banned Gab. AI, the alternative uh, up in the search results. This was a little. Yeah, while. I did see that a while ago, and then I immediately went and checked my Gab works, but there was something about it. Maybe they can't. They it, it doesn't come up in the iTunes store. That's what it was. application is something like that. T- Tucker Carlson, which I know you love, he interviewed the gal. <laughs> For anyone night. who has not heard this show before, I do not actually love Tucker Carlson. I <laughs> I like I love Tucker Carlson the way you love Jake Tapper. Yeah, so yeah, you do not like Tucker. Not. Carlson. <laughs> and now I hate Jake Tapper too. <laughs> Thanks to you. What did Jake Tapper open his show with yesterday? He a dirty look and a sideways face. The president says that he loves the dreamers. What would he do if he hated them? (laughs) Yeah, if this is how you treat your friends. Yeah. Uh, Funny. All right, that wraps up the show today. Thanks for a great show. See you later.